We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the Men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 83, Sonic Assault. My name is David Smill. I have Travis Sowers on the line with me again this week. How are you, sir? I am handsome. How are you, David? It's my birthday. That's right. Happy birthday. Thanks, bud. Yeah, it uh, really doesn't mean anything to me, so it's just another day. But, well, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It's significant to celebrate the sixth anniversary of your 29th birthday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, my wife got me some nerd t-shirts for my birthday, so I'll be sporting those on a stream in the near future. One is a Spy vs. Spy. Do you remember Spy vs. Spy? Oh, God, yeah, I remember Spy vs. Spy. I suspect that there's a large portion of our listenership that does not remember Spy vs. Spy, that are too young for that. Uh, we got some old farts, man. We'll have a few that know what's up. Yeah, so uh, so that was kind of cool. And then uh, I went out for lunch today, so it was, uh, it was a good day. But um, otherwise, it's just a normal Thursday for me, which means podcast night. Well, I mean, the best birthday gift you could possibly get is an hour with me. So you're welcome. I feel like that's my gift to you. <laughs> is this some kind of reverse birthday where I give out the gifts instead of receive the gifts? It might be. It might be. Okay. Speaking of gifts, though, cons last week, how'd you do? I really enjoyed it. I think I ended up with two trophies out of about six drafts, and that was about as many drafts as I wanted, and it was exactly like I remembered. The draft portion was really cool the first time, and kind of cool the second time, and kind of repetitive the sixth time, and the gameplay was the best gameplay I've ever had in Magic Limited, uh, which for me definitely puts cons in my top five. I think hours still above it. Um, but it's, it's close. It's a really good set. Yeah. I hit one trophy out of four and got to draft a sweet secret plans deck that very easily could have three would and just barely went to one. So it was, uh, it was fun. I made some really good decisions in my games. I made some really bad decisions in my games. The morph shell game is still a ton of fun. Um, one deck I had, it was really, really good. The only game that I lost was to one of your stream viewers, Synthetica. And, um, <laughs> I lost in what was basically an epic three-game match where I rolled game one. Game two, I was rolling about halfway through. A switch flipped, and the game flipped entirely around, and I lost that game. And then I just got crushed in game three. So it was kind of this like whole like can't can't lose to can't win, and it was a it was a neat little experience, especially when I figured out that I was playing with somebody that I recognized from your chat because. Uh, it's fun to play against people you know, and it's not as anonymous, and you get a little bit of trash talk in there, you get the good luck, have fun, and, uh, you know, you get to talk to them afterwards, so it's pretty cool to see kind of the strategy that they employed against me, and the decisions that I made, and the mistakes that I made from a different perspective, so it was, it was pretty cool. He's also really good. He sent me YouTube clips of some of his play decisions, and been like, what would you do here via Twitter? Um, and generally speaking, he's making the right decisions. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, they certainly crushed me in that in that last game, and uh, and it was neat to see from his perspective. So it was it was cool, and it just kind of reinforces kind of one of our first topics in, you know, looking at your mistakes from the other side or looking at other 
like recording yourself and going back and watching your play um, and then evaluating it from another perspective and seeing it from somebody else's perspective and seeing somebody else's hand when you're making those decisions, you can kind of, you know, see patterns in your mistakes of like, you know, I assumed that they had one card, but really if you look at their entire play pattern, it didn't make any sense kind of thing. And like there was one position where I double blocked a morph thinking it was a four, four and thinking that, you know, I would, I would be able to get it when it unflipped and it turned out that it was just disaster for me. And, um, you know, going back and reviewing that play, you know, it kind of made sense the way the game had played, even at like when, once I saw their cards as well. Um, but even without that extra information, just going back and reviewing that was kind of great for me and realizing like, oh yeah, like I can't just make those assumptions when you're playing with morphs. You have to look at the whole story. We talked about bluffing before and you have to tell this story. And that's what Synthetica did is, is he told a story that I, that I didn't read and uh, very easily could have. So it was all around a great experience. Glad I ended with a trophy. Ended up with a 75% win rate overall, but small sample size. So, Still, that's pretty impressive, man. And like I said, it, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Now, this week, actually for the next couple of weeks, we've got uh, Cubemus online. It's Legacy Cube, if I understand correctly. Is that right? It is. Uh, and this is actually my favorite cube. A lot of people get excited about Powered Cube, but that's not really the one for me. Yeah, so, I mean, why don't you walk us through? You did a cube this morning already, so um, how does it play, or how did it play for you this morning, and are there any kind of significant changes from the previous version of this cube? Well, I can tell you Dryad Greenseeker is in it, and it's just as good in the cube as it was in Corset Draft. I saw a couple of other new cards sprinkled through there, but it's the same legacy cube that we know and love. Um, Expensive win conditions are plenty. Cheap interaction is plenty. Make sure you're taking a balance of each. And we had Tomi on as a guest once to describe the various cubes and talk about those some way back in the day. And he described this one as the Planeswalker cube. And I drafted it today with that approach and had a lot of success. Uh, There was a card in there whose name I'm not going to remember now. I think it was actually Glare of Subduel. Will you Google that and see if that looks similar to Opposition while I'm telling the story? I, I managed to build an opposition deck without opposition, and uh, it, I, I don't remember seeing that in the cube before, but man, was it fun. Got a bunch of Planeswalkers that made tokens, tapped down their creatures, swung in for lethal, had to assemble the Legion, which is an honor, honorary Planeswalker. Uh, but for those of you who are not super familiar with cube, it's almost like a, a greatest hits of magic where you're drafting very powerful cards from very old sets as well as the new sets. And you get to see some fun interactions Whatever the cube is, I don't really want to jam cube nonstop all day because it's a little too swingy. I will get tilted if I sit and play cube all day. Uh, but the one today was a lot of fun. I happened to get a trophy, which was neat to do one cube and win the cube. Uh, but I'll probably do another one tomorrow and maybe sprinkle these throughout the stream this week. I'd encourage people, if you've never tried cube, the legacy one's a good one to jump into because it's not so overpowered that you're not going to understand what's happening Like, if you jump into a Vintage Cube and somebody plays a Black Lotus turn one, it can be hard to understand what just happened, right? You're just dead. Whereas in this one, you're at least going to get to play Magic. It'll be very swingy Magic, but you're going to get to play. And you can also, to an extent, force a color or a strategy if that's what you want to do. You can decide that you're going to play an aggressive color pair or that you're going to ramp and just kind of get into that. And there's enough cards there that you'll have a good deck. So in short, if you're jumping in, Planeswalkers are very good. Fixing is very good. Land-based fixing. fixing. This cube doesn't have things like Signets or a lot of Mana Rocks. Uh, So prioritize your lands, prioritize your Planeswalkers, 
prioritize cheap interaction. And for me, just play whatever expensive finishers wheel. Are the bounce lands in this cube too? I did not see any of them today. So I, I so do not must, believe that they are. They're, they're probably not. So yeah, and you're right. Glare of Subduel is the uh, opposition in Selesnya, which is weird to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. I think I'm going to avoid this cube this time around. Um, not because I... It's because you it's hate because fun. I don't like it. It's because I hate fun. No, it's because I don't like it. And I find that cube to me is the type of thing that I would much rather play uh, amongst a group of friends casually. And I don't think it's something that I want to take seriously. And anytime I sit down to play Magic Online, I'm playing it seriously. So yeah. um, so that's for me. So I think I'm going to jam Arena the next couple of weeks. And uh, we'll do some continued drafting in Arena, at least until Dominaria rotates out, which is when? Next week? Yeah, well, Dominaria um, lasts, it looks like, until the 13th of September when Rivals will become the quick draft format. Mm, so you're telling me I gotta find something to do between the 13th and Guilds of Ravnica? So about that cube. About that cube, hey? Yeah. Because I know you're not going to be drafting Rivals of Ixalan, are you? I will probably do like one or two initially and then see what my viewership wants. Because like when I went and played the cube today, it was actually interesting. I had a lot of people who were kind of like, what's cube? I was like, oh my goodness, I've had such an increase in viewership through arena that I've got people that have no idea what cube is. And we had a good time with it and explained it to them, but they wanted to see Dominaria. And like I said, I, I'm not normally going to sit down and just grind cube. However, that, that ratio of MTGO to arena will certainly flip when rivals comes out. And it's, it, it's not that rivals was a bad set. I actually found it a lot of fun. The first 20 times I drafted it. The problem is I've probably done 200 rivals drafts. Um, or at least Ixalan and Rivals when you put them together. Rivals didn't make it a dramatically different format. And my biggest complaint about it, a lot of people have asked me, so I wanted to mention it as this was coming up. It's it's kind of the same problem I had with cons, is that the drafting portion is a little bit boring. I'm going to pick the best card out of the first five packs, and then sixth pick, I'm going to see a good Merfolk card, or Dinosaur card, or Vampire card, whatever. I'll know that that's what's open, and then from every other pack, I'm just taking the card that goes with that one. So your draft is basically done around pick five, and it's a question of how good a version of this deck do I get. Now, that's kind of what it had in common with cons, where it whiffed for me was on the gameplay. It played like a corset, which is, again, not bad, but I can at least have an interesting corset draft. M19 gave me the option to pick up the, the tap duels, and maybe we're going to splash a switcheroo, and I can do this neat stuff. And you you could still do some of that here if you prioritize like a Sailor of Memes or whatever. But I just found like you, you couldn't go any deeper in Rivals than you could in a core set. And the drafting was on rails. So between all of that, I, I was kind of out. But like I said, I'll do probably realistically two a day just so that my viewers who are interested in how do I draft this can get in. Because I, I honestly think if you're going to draft the set, 10 times or less, which I think is probably the average person's experience in a week of quick draft, you can have a blast with this set. Uh, For me, that's me committing to do it, what, eight? No, I stream more than four times. That's me committing to do 14 of these drafts, um, which is probably a little more than I want to, because I think I I could do seven and be happy. Um, But this this is not my favorite format. The upside of playing cube, I guess, is that you're always going to get those three matches and they're going to be slow, grindy games. So maybe you don't have to play as many actual 
drafts and still fill out your content quota for the week. Well, it's not, it's not only that. Like, I, I really do think that the Legacy Cube can be fun. If it was Vintage Cube, I honestly might do a couple Rivals drafts and then stream Stellaris for the week or something. Because um, <laughs> I, I, the only times I have tilted while streaming have been while I was playing uh, Vintage Cube. Like, that one will get me. Where your opponent's just like, two mocks, Black Lotus, you're dead. I'm like, I didn't even, I didn't even get to play. Right? I almost tilted off last night on a stream. What happened? Uh, just best of ones. Variants got me. <laughs> I had my very first, my very first O three in arena drafting. Wow! And it was and it was missed colors, missed lands, steamrolled by an aggro deck, and it was kind of like, I wish I had best of threes, but can I? That'll t- happen soon. Can I tell a Travis tilted story? I love Travis tilt stories because they're very rare. Yeah. They don't happen that often. So this was actually yesterday. I'm doing the stream. Everything's going good. We're doing Dominaria quick drafts. Uh, I'm at 70.3% win percentage, by the way. I'm going to pat myself on the back there. And everything's going good. we got about 200 viewers. Things are looking great. And all of a sudden, I see people in chat start saying things like, what happened? Where is he? What's going on? I was like, it's really weird. Well, why can't they see me? And I look at my settings, I look at OBS, I'm not dropping any frames, nothing weird's going on, I'm still playing the game. And I'm for. And then I, I went and checked a couple other Twitch channels, and I was like, I could see some of them, but not all of them. For some reason, about half of the Twitch channels just dropped for about five minutes. And in that five minutes, my viewership went from 200 to 40. It's like, this sucks. This really sucks. I... Like, how do you handle that? And like, I don't blame them, right? Like sometimes when I'm watching streams, it's because I've got five minutes to kill and I want to just, you know, log in and see somebody make a cool play and then get out or whatever. So like, I'm not mad at the people. I'm just really frustrated that this thing beyond my control happened. So I, I, I grind it out for a little bit more and then I'm like, you know what? Let's just chillax and have some fun. And I did something I've never done before. I said, let's do a chat draft. Ooh, spicy. Immediately after I said that, the Magic site hosted me for about 600 viewers. And I had my mind absolutely blown because I was ready to be trolled. I have watched other people do chat drafts, and I have seen them be trolled hard with unplayable decks. My chat is not like that. I have taught them well. There were only two picks that we disagreed about. One was them picking a Talarian Scholar over a Banalish Knight. I told them we'd get more Scholars, and we didn't need that. But I didn't comment until after the voting was over, and I was right. Another one was where I would have taken a Befuddle over a Divination, and I was actually less right about that one. Um, not wrong, just less right. We got 7-1 and one with the deck. Like, chat drafted a perfect deck, and I agreed with nearly every pick, and I was so proud of my chat. Like... They they could have trolled me and made me pick garbage, and they didn't, even though Andy was clicking on the garbage every time. And then we managed to take the chat draft and win with it. And I was like, everything turned around as soon as I decided, I'm just going to have a good time with this and not worry about the rest of it. So that was... That's one of the, that's one of the ways you cure tilt, right? Is change your attitude, change your perspective on things, reset yourself. So yeah. that's good on you for not tilting. Um, speaking of chat drafts, though, like the Deckmaster extension for... Anybody out there that, that's listening that may want to dabble in streaming magic, or maybe you already do, the the update to the to the deckmaster extension is amazing. It's super hot. I, like throwing the the percentages on the screen that people can see 
on the cards that they're drafting is like just a huge improvement to that. Um, and it really facilitates some interesting conversations in chat about what to pick because they can actually see the picks now. Um, and, and the, and the voting percentages is really cool. Fugi has done an amazing job with that. So if you're interested in that, um, every once in a while I get somebody come by the stream and they're like, Whoa, this overlay is super cool. And it's kind of like, it's just great. Like the, the service that he's done for us and, and streamers that are like us, I think is, is amazing. So if you see him in chat, make sure you say good job, Fugi. Agree. Agree. Dude's amazing. Um, all right. So we want to talk about Ravnica mechanics, Ravnica mechanics in the new set coming out here in a little bit. But first, I kind of blew your mind the other day on stream. Uh, I was in your chat and uh, we were talking about, well, your packs, your infinite collection of packs. We're over 300 now. You're over 300 packs. So for those who don't know, I, I, I went through a phase where I was trying to play Constructed because I felt like I had to in order to get the value out of Arena, right? That I had to play the Constructed and earn the gold and then I could do Quick Draft. And my God, did it frustrate me. I blew all my gens doing Competitive Draft before I did the math. And then I ran out and I was like, well, I'll just grind through Quick Draft. And I... I I was hating playing Constructed. I was grumpy. So I dropped 20 bucks. I bought some gems and I started playing Quick Draft. And I said, I'll go until these run out and then I'll see what happens. That was two and a half months ago and they haven't run out yet. So I have really no interest in the Constructed aspect of Arena unless a deck like gets me excited at some point And there just hasn't been one of those. So I decided to stop opening the packs. It was just kind of a waste of time because I don't need anything out of them. So chat every once in a while will ask me how many I have and we'll look at them and they'll count them. And I think we broke 300 yesterday. That's a lot of packs and a lot of drafts, basically. You're probably averaging 1.3 packs per draft, I would say. So you've done a lot of drafts and and haven't opened those packs yet. So incredible to me that that your chat hasn't mutinied on you yet. Because everybody loves cracking packs. But basically, there's no excitement to cracking packs. Once you're through your first 50, once you've built your first two decks, there's nothing there anymore, right? Like, it's just a mini game that is a a flash of light on the screen and you get your card. And and it's cool for the first 50 or 60 or 70 or whatever. But after that, it's kind of lost its appeal. So so you don't like opening packs because they don't do anything for you because you're a limited player. Mm -hmm. And you're feeling like you don't get any value out of this. We talked about this many times. You're not getting any value out of this. There's people on the constructed side that open them, and really they're just looking for the wild cards. Yeah. Right? Like, there's really not much else in those packs. Unless it's a brand new set, you know, you can get some some random rares and stuff like that. But they're not interested in the draft portion of it. Um, so they don't really care what kind of value you get on the draft side. So we've been talking about this for a while. Is like, how do we solve that problem? So there's a couple of kind of aspects to this. One is that packs are useless to drafters. Right? Two is that your constructed people don't want to spend money on draft. They don't want to spend gold on draft. They'd rather spend them on packs or entry fees into events that they're more interested in playing in. And three, Wizards hasn't really solved this problem of the fifth copy of a card. Um, They've been talking about it for a while, and right now it goes into the vault, which is invisible, but it's there. Like, I I do have vault progress, and I will. I'm very close to a vault. I see that from, uh, from the log files, for example. But there's kind of all of these problems that are keeping the economy from being, I would say, as like perfect or as good as it can be, um, given that it's a free-to-play game in which we want to encourage people to spend money on so that we can continue playing it. And I kind of came up with a solution, I think, that, you know, it, it's it's a solution from other 
games out there from from other kind of concepts that are already out there. I just kind of combine them together. That kind of tackles all three of those things. So the idea that I came up with was, and by the way, if anybody from Wizards is listening here, you're more than welcome to steal this idea. So the idea that I kind of came up with is why not put some kind of incentive in the pack that want that that makes people like you want to open them, but also rewards constructed players that are winning them or buying them. And at the same time, try to solve a little bit of this fifth copy problem. So those are kind of three different things here. So the first one that I wanted to do is I wanted to put an incentive in the pack for you to open and feel like you got some kind of tangible benefit out of it. So you, the 100% drafter, and I suggested maybe putting things like bits of gold in or bits of gems in or things like that, some kind of random reward, almost like a loot chest in other games that you could open and get some kind of benefit out of it. So what that would do for you is if you have, if you have 300 packs and every pack you open has a small chance to give you gold or a small chance to give you gems or a small chance to give you the jackpot of a free draft token, let's say, then you're going to open all of those packs. Excitedly. Ex- because they're going to give you some kind of small tangible value. Now, it might not be enough value to make you feel like the reward structure and the price structure is is 100% exactly what you want it to be. But adding any kind of small amount of value to those packs is going to be good for you. And if the if the rewards are random, or not random, but like swingy, let's say, so you're always guaranteed a minimum value. Of, say, and five you, gold. Sure. Some small amount, whatever, right? You're always going to get it. But then you can scale those rewards up where maybe one out of 100 or one out of 200 is something exciting, like a free draft token or an entire collection of Dominaria or you know, cosmetics or things like that, right? Like there's all sorts of things we can put in these packs to make it fun to open for people. Now people are going to say that's a little bit like gambling. It's a little bit like the loot chest problem we have in other games, like the Battlefield, it was a Battlefield series where EA got kind of crapped on for um, having these loot chests that people would buy for $5 and you'd spin the wheel and you'd get something in the game that would make your character better or whatever. Um, I understand that we want to keep this game away from that, I think if you put it on top of the packs, you're always guaranteed to get these things out of the pack, which is kind of like a loot chest already, and toss in this extra little bit of reward, I think, for for drafters like you, it rewards you and keeps you playing the game a little bit longer, despite not needing to open the packs at all for Constructed. Yeah. Now, on the flip side... I think think it's an absolute stroke of genius. Like, when you said that in chat, I was like, if there's some minimum guarantee of, like, five gold... And then that can spike up to 200 gold. And then I think you said there one in every 200 packs has a free draft token or a chance at, at one. I was like, I'm in. I'm, I'm just in. I'm cracking all 300 packs and I'm excited about it. And the people that are watching that are excited about seeing packs cracked and, you know, want to know what the rare is, they can have a good time with that too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you're still going to get your wild cards. So if you still want to go and play constructed at some point in the future, you can, you can do that, right? So yeah. you're incentivized... To, to, to play constructed that way because you're still opening the packs as you go. And tossing cosmetics in there is a great way for to encourage people to buy more cosmetics as well. I really wish we had um, Evan on the, on the show here about, to talk about this because he is kind of an expert in this field out of the people that I know anyway. He works in this industry and he does basically eco- economic models for, for games like this. So maybe I'll hit him up on Twitter and see what his opinions are on that one. But um, the, on, the, on the constructed side, so constructed players are buying packs. They're not grinding out cards. They're not, you know, they're not drafting to get their cards. What they're doing is they're 
buying a bundle of gems or they're taking their gold and they're spending it on packs in order to get that initial collection. And then as they go, they're looking to collect wild cards to add on things to their decks. They're adding on cards to the decks via wild cards. So what can we give them to get give them a little bit more enjoyment out of these packs? So if you're giving them random gold or random gems rewards, small amounts, eventually they're going to earn enough that buys them that extra pack, right? So it's like open 10, get an 11th one free, or open 20, get a 21st one free, right? Everybody loves that kind of small amount of free value, and you can kind of see that incrementally grow. If it's, or they can take those gold or gems and use them to enter into events, right? So every 10 packs you open, maybe that's the cost of one of your constructed events or something like that, right? So it's just another small tangible benefit you can get out of opening these packs, even if you've already filled your collection. So now we're kind of leaning into this fifth card problem that I'm going to talk about in a second. But on top of that, if there's the ability to maybe earn a free draft, you encourage these constructed players that don't want to spend their gold on drafts to get into draft and potentially enjoy draft, which I think is going to be the moneymaker in this game. I think drafting is going to be where wizards will make a lot of their coin because it's it's fun, it's a different experience every single time, and people like to watch it when when watching streams. So I think encouraging your constructed players to draft and encouraging your drafts drafters to potentially open packs i think is good for just the economy quote-unquote economy in general even giving a free entry to a constructed event every now and then in those would help do the the reverse get somebody who's just interested in drafting to go be like well it's free i guess i'll put a deck together and check it out and maybe they love it or maybe they hate it but either way they tried it Exactly. Or for like those weekend events, those popper events that are like 500 gold, you know, I got a token sitting around, I'm going to go play singleton or I'm going to go play popper. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be a really good way to do that, right? Yeah. And those rewards don't have to be that many, right? If if I only earn one of them a season or like a drafts or a, a set, right? One every three months, like that's fine, right? Like you're keeping me playing your game. And what you said about the cosmetics is absolutely true. Like PUBG does this. They give you crates every so often as you play and win the games. And like, as I opened enough of those, eventually they give you these crates that you have to pay to unlock. And like, I eventually was like, yeah, I'll pop one of those. It it has some cool stuff in it that I might be interested in for my character. But they got me started on it by giving me this free thing first that I started opening. So I I think I spent a grand total of five bucks on it. Um, so it's not like I broke the bank or made them a million dollars, but that's that's dollars that they got that they wouldn't have if they hadn't offered me that stuff for free anyway. Exactly. And I'm not a fan of like paying to unlock those things, but I am a fan of here's here's a taste of what com- cosmetics can do for you in the game and how much fun you can have with them. And now we're going to encourage you to spend dollars on on our store and buy more of these things. Yeah, because I'm buying a Nickel Bolas voice pack and avatar as soon as I can. Just please and- put it in there. And deck back and, and card sleeves and playmat and deck box. You, you know how in PUBG they've got like the Shroud and Dr. Disrespect skins? Mm-hmm. I'm ready for Simulant card backs. Like, I don't understand why we can't have that, right? Like, Man, can you imagine? Link your arena account to Twitch, and then everybody who subscribes to me just automatically has a Hawaiian print card sleeve. It seems easy. That's That's got to be coming soon. They got to be working on that. I hope so. We saw it. We saw Eternal actually have their Twitch drops lined up, so I wouldn't be surprised if Arena's pretty close to that as well. Yeah, they should be right behind them. Finally, I had an idea to add on to this, which I'm still kind of working out in my head, but I think I got the basic concept of, is that the fifth card problem. 
So the fifth card problem is that when you get your fifth copy of a card, it disappears into Vault Progress, and it doesn't really feel very rewarding. The idea that I had is that if you open a fifth copy of a card, it could potentially increase the, the minimum level of your reward. So think about it from Constructed Player's perspective specifically. But let's say if if you open a pack and nothing is, is a duplicate the minimum reward you get is like 10 gold, right? And then obviously it scales up from there. So you get a common, we can even call them common rewards, right? Ooh, I got a common reward, it's 10 gold. If your duplicate is, a, is a, an uncommon, maybe that upgrades your random reward to let's say 20 gold or 25 gold or something like that, right? Because you're, you're losing value out of opening the pack. So we're going to give you a little bit of extra value, almost like a little bit of a discount on what you might've spent to open that pack because we've duplicated an uncommon for you. And then where that goes, where that becomes the best value is obviously if you open a duplicate mythic or something like that, maybe it's 200 gold. So like you open a duplicate mythic and it's like the equivalent of getting one fifth of a pack back in gold. So it's like now it doesn't feel like a waste if you spent that gold on it, or if you've been playing and you're earning your weekly rewards and you're playing so much that you're getting duplicate mythics, which probably come from people that have already spent money on your game now you're getting a little bit back that you can spend on more packs or you can spend on rewards or to draft uh, or, or to draft or to play in events or whatever. You can spend it how you like. And now it doesn't feel like you're getting a kick in the pants when you open that fifth copy of Teferi, you dirty, dirty Esper control players. You can I don't know what of, you're talking about. When I did play Constructed, of, that was totally what I was playing. It totally was. But you can get a little bit of guaranteed value back if you happen to owe that open, open that extra copy. And it might make you feel a little less bad about that and so i think you put all that together and you basically you're spinning the wheel every time you open a pack um wizards are probably gonna have to adjust the the level of rewards they give you in other places like obviously they're gonna take it away from somewhere and give it to us somewhere else but i, I think i think that solves a lot of kind of on the surface problems do you know what i mean like it, it makes it feel better to open these things uh, could potentially be something for the fifth card problem and just have people play more. You want people playing your game more. You want people opening these packs. You want people buying these packs with gold or gems or whatever. Um, and I think I think this would encourage them to do that as long as it doesn't feel gambly. You know, as long yeah. as it's not like the Battlefront EA Sports type thing or PUBG crate thing where you have to spend $5 to open a crate. Like, stay away from that. Give us rewards that we're already getting or in things that we're already getting as part of the gameplay or as part of the kind of initial purchase or whatever. Eternal did something similar to this, and I, I haven't played Hearthstone in a long time. I don't remember if they do this or, or not. But in Eternal, when you opened a pack, you got a small amount of Shift Stone, which was the crafting material. So even if you had cards that you didn't want, you'd get pieces of cards that you did want. Right. And like th that was not one where I expected to be able to draft infinitely, which is probably why I didn't play it all that long. But like th the concept is already there, has worked for other games. I, I don't see why they couldn't do it here. Yeah, I, I agree. And we used to have that with the vault progress, right? Where every time you opened a pack, you got like 4% of your vault progress. Yeah. Um, so it kind of a similar pro thing. It's just now throw a little bit of randomness in it with the top end reward that everybody will get once in a while like once a year once six months however often you play um and i think it'd be really cool and i think it'd be really cool for people to see it on your stream where it's like we got a free constructed token let's go play popper like let's just go have fun with it it doesn't matter if we owe three because it's just it's, it's free. free money yeah right it's just time so 
I want to open those packs. Please listen to David and give me just any reason to open them. Because, I mean, it'd take like two hours. To open your packs one at a time? You can open, you can just hit spacebar and like open all of them or something. I would never do that. Of course not. But anyway, so Wizards, if you're listening, somebody at WotC, by all means, take that idea. Don't have to even give me credit for it. Just, I hereby give it to you, humble developer. Take it. Sounds good. All right. That is me saving the world this week. Thank you, David. How about some Ravnica mechanics to top off the episode here? Did you take the guild personality test? I did. What guild are you in? I am Selesnia. Ah, okay. Because you're kind of hippy-dippy and want to make everything cool? I guess so. I kind of just randomly clicked through. It was it was kind of neat to do, though. Which one did you end up with? It's because you're nice, because you're Canadian. That's why you ended up Selesnia. Probably. I ended up Azorius. It said that I'm punctual and correct. And the only thing I could, of course, think of is like, well, of course, I'm actually very punctual. And then I remembered that time I slept through a podcast. And I was like, and it's still eating at me, like, almost a year later. The best part is that you do it to yourself. Yeah, you've never you've never given me any grief about it because you're a nice Canadian Selesnian guy. I know that you're just going to hang yourself on it every time you bring it up, so yep. I don't have to. That's right. That's right. Well, I, harder, yeah, not smarter. I think we should surveil these new mechanics. All right, let's go. Let's just go in order. So um, they put out a primer uh, with a bunch of nice little short videos on how each of the mechanics work. So that's pretty sweet. And uh, we're just going to scroll down here. One by one, there's five mechanics, and then there's two additional kind of mechanics that uh, they're not really keyworded, but they, uh, they they still will apply as count as mechanics in the set here, and I'm looking forward to them very much. So the first one we're going to talk about is Surveil. So Travis, what is Surveil? Surveil will be followed by a number. This is how many times you do it, and it reminds me a bit of Scry. Look at the top card of your library. You may put that card into your graveyard. So you would do yeah. that the number of times that it's mentioned. They've got a card here that's Surveil 1 and a card here that's Surveil 2. So you'll kind of see that stapled on to other cards. And I th- what it's going to be doing here, like Golgari's in this set, we know they're going to be involved with the graveyard. Um, and it looks like the it mechanic also cares about stuff in the graveyard. So the idea is you're getting some card selection stapled onto a fa- an effect that you'd probably already play, much like you're used to with Scry, if you think about cards like Magma Spray from the past, and it's also potentially interacting with other mechanics in the set. So depending on the situation, this may be better than Scry, because Scry was always giving us card selection, but if, if there's graveyard mechanics, and we know there will be because that's what Golgari does then this this should be better um, better than a scry. I, I, I occasionally have people ask me questions. I'm, I'm going to divert for just a second here, but we'll get back. I've, I've told folks in Dominaria, if you have one Hamarid Explorer in your deck and you play it, you should always mill yourself. If you have five of them and your plan is to mill your opponent out, you're probably not drafting like I do, but that's fine. Go for it and have fun. Because there are graveyard mechanics in four of the colors in Dominaria, your opponent's probably playing one of those four colors. Like, you could be helping them by milling them, but it's all a a flip in the air. Generally speaking, if anybody's going to get milled, you would prefer it to be you unless it's your last few cards and it's going to cost you the game. Because you'll be able to interact with your graveyard in a meaningful way. Yeah, exactly. I think this is strictly better than Scry unless the game goes to the point where... 
you're going to wish you had those cards on the bottom. So kind of reminds me of the search for Azcanta mechanic mm-hmm. or a little bit of the explore mechanic. Um, and I think, I think it's going to be very good. I think you're going to see a lot of cards similar to what we've seen in the past that had scry stapled on. So like a counter spell with a scry and a kill card with a scry and a bounce card with a scry and stuff like that. And I think, or sorry, surveil. And, uh, and I think they're all going to play very much the same, except that you're going to have these extra synergies that are powering up. Like you said, there's the, is it mechanic? There's the Golgari mechanic, um, or even just binning lands that you don't need. Yeah. Basically the same as scry in that case. So I, I think it's going to be very good. And I think that people were initially saying when I was reading the comments on Reddit, it's like, oh, it's like a watered down scry. Like who wants that? And it's kind of like, no, like step back and think about that one. Putting things in your graveyard has historically been a very dangerous thing in standard, modern, limited, not so much, but definitely in constructed. <coughs> spider and, spawning. Um, <coughs> so, there you go, spider spawning. See, I didn't play in that time period, so I don't have the nightmares that some people do. But just think about it, right? Like, the option to put things into your graveyard at no extra cost, essentially. Um, I mean, obviously, those are going to be costed to make up for the fact that they're giving you some kind of card selection. Um it could be very powerful in, in the right draft decks, I think. So I'm very curious to see what kind of things we can do with the cards that we put in the graveyard. Um, and I'm going to be very happy to play these. I mean, we've got two examples here that we can look at and we can kind of see how much the costing is going to be different based on cards that are equivalent to it. Um, and it'll kind of let us know how playable these cards are going to be. Sure. So, so first, go ahead. I was going to say, I also want to like just pepper this with one thing. This is the Demir mechanic. So a lot of people may be thinking, how is this going to interact with your graveyard if this is the mechanic for Demir? Well, if you're playing a blue-black deck, you're not only going to be playing Demir cards. You'll have some of the Golgari cards. That's the green-black guild. So you'll have some black cards that have the Golgari mechanic on it, which we'll get to in a minute. And you'll have some blue cards, which have the Izzet mechanic. That's the red-blue guild on it. So you will have some things to interact with uh, with your graveyard with these, even though... like that isn't your color pairs mechanic you'll still be playing some of the others and it's interesting it seems like this like the demir mechanic specifically straddles very nicely with these the the two adjoining guilds whereas the boros and the selesnia ones don't necessarily seem to kind of go together i think they do i'll walk you through it i mean these ones seem like a perfect fit whereas like the golgari and selesnia like where is that kind of merge do you know what i mean like it almost feels like it's like a wedge versus well it's it's almost like a like a shard against a shard here yeah or like like a shard against the guild against the guild if that makes sense and and it'd be interesting to see how it all kind of plays out right like in boros you might see jumpstart which is the next mechanic you might see a bunch of combat tricks that have jumpstart or something like that um and and maybe that's where we end up so but anyway so we've got two cards here we're going to look at uh, the first is Unexplained Disappearance. It's one in the blue for an instant. Return target creature to its owner's hand with Surveil 1. So compare this to, let's say, Unsummon. So it looks like the rate is, at least on this card, obviously, is one colorless mana for Surveil 1. You know, we could also compare it to Disperse, mm-hmm. uh, which was target non-land permanent. So we're losing a little bit there. Uh, and then also Winds of Rebuke in Amonkhet. 
which milled both players for two, which was generally an advantage to the blue player because they were likely to have some embalmed creatures. So I'm used to seeing two mana bounce spells. I don't think that that's unreasonable. We'll have to see if bounce is good in the format. Like, I was very happy playing Disperse in M19 just so I could bounce Falcons with Knight's Pledges. Uh, So if, if bounce is good, and one bounce spell is almost always good, but like there were times in M19 where I was playing two or three and happy about it. Yeah, it's it's usually the blue combat trick, right? You can win, uh, you can win a combat where your opponent double blocks, or you can beat a combat trick, or things like that. So there's a, there's a few things you can do. Um, surveil will be interesting in again with the is it mechanic with the jump start where it's effectively card. It's not really card draw, but it's kind of close to card draw if you put a card with jump start in your graveyard. Yeah, right. Something that you can't cast now, but you can cast in a couple of turns. Right? You're not losing that card forever. You're losing it at the cost of discarding another card. We'll get into that mechanic in a second. So I think that'll be interesting. The other... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I was going to read the next one. The next one is Deadly Visit. Three black black for a sorcery. Destroy target creature. Surveil two. Yeah, so our unconditional removal remains at five mana. It's kind of a constant, it seems like, where we're hovering around that four to six mana mark. Um, and slap a surveil two or a scry two on this one i'm pretty happy with that like lich's caress was uh gain three life right if i remember correctly mm-hmm. so i think this is better than that much better than that i think in a lot of cases um obviously with the exception of if you're in a, a life gain style deck um i mean it's a common removal this is what we get in black right yeah i'd rather it be four mana but like i'll give up on it like eviscerate was just too good yeah eviscerate i don't think we're gonna get a, an eviscerate style removal spell in this format seeing that we have deadly visits so yeah okay pretty happy with how surveil looks and i'll be very interested to see how it plays with the other mechanics me too so next up we've got jumpstart this is the is it mechanic and i think this is the the neatest one out of all of them to me anyway so uh jumpstart how it works i'm just gonna bring it up over here is a card that has jumpstart is on an instance or a sorcery and it says, when you, you may cast this card from your graveyard by discarding card in addition to paying its other costs, then exile this card. So the example that we have here, just to give you a sample as to how it works, is Sonic Assault. It's one blue-red for an instant. Tap target creature. Sonic Assault deals two damage to that creature's controller, and it has jumpstart. So if this is in my graveyard, I can pitch a land and cast this at instant speed for one blue-red. I can pitch any other card, creature or another jumpstart card and cast this for the same cost. And then once I've done that, it's exile. So it's kind of like flashback, except instead of having an alternate cost, it has the regular cost plus a discard. It's kind of like uh, flashback and retrace got really drunk and one thing led to another. And now there's a baby jumpstart. It's almost like fixed retrace. Yeah, because Retrace could be a little bit broken. Uh, Retrace, for those of you who don't remember, is an old mechanic. But it was you can cast this card from your graveyard by discarding a land card. And it was missing that Exile Clause. Uh, So basically every land you drew after you'd played out your fifth or whatever your your maximum was that your deck needed just turned into two Kithkin Soldiers, for example. Uh, Which was kind of busted. You could just keep doing that over and over. This does look like a fixed version of it. It sort of has Flashback. It's definitely weaker than Flashback. Right? Yep. But it depends on how it's costed and what the effects are. And that we can't really know until we get to see the entirety of the set. So, like, there was a sorcery speed unsummon in Innistrad with flashback for five. Um, I can't remember what it was called. But it, the card was absurd. 
because you you could bounce one of their dudes. It, it, that was a set that also involved a lot of enchantments and putting counters on creatures. So bouncing a creature was already pretty good, even at sorcery speed. And then being able to do it again later when you just didn't have anything else to do was great. Now here, you're going to have to pay the cost of the card and then pay it again and discard something. So I'm looking at these as kind of like once I've hit all of my land drops, I'll you know discard a land to get this effect. So something to do with extra lands is always going to be good. This card doesn't look particularly great, uh, but if we've got something like a lightning strike that has that effect, that's going to be absurd. Yeah, one of the cards that has been officially spoiled was a three mana shock with jumpstart, and I think it was sorcery speed. I'd play that. I'd absolutely play that. Yeah, and it was interesting to see the comments of like unplayable to playable and limited kind of thing. Um, that's going to depend on the base power and toughness of the set too, right? Like we, exactly. we just don't know enough yet, but the mechanic inherently has a lot of potential. Yeah, exactly. And um, so the the interesting thing is that I think this pushes you, depending on how many jumpstart cards you have, obviously it pushes you closer to potentially 18 lands because you can still get value out of those extra lands when you're discarding them to, um, to, to things with jumpstart. The other interesting thing is just chaining jumpstart things together. So, like, if you discard a car, a jumpstart card to a jumpstart card, have you gained card advantage or not? Do you know what I mean? Like, no. Eventually, you're going to have to give up that card advantage because, or you're you're going to have to give up a card to cast that final one in the chain. But it's like if I cast a, if I'm stuck on mana and I pitch a four mana jumpstart card to cast a three mana jumpstart card, like. Am I really losing all that much out of that exchange? Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. And if definitely if I'm pitching lands, I'm gaining something out of that exchange um, because the lands probably had no value to me anyway. So I think it's there'd be an interesting kind of deck building and gameplay experience around this. Um, and I'm looking forward to it as long as they are not weak cards. Like, ju- like Sonic Assault is not a card I'm interested in playing at all unless maybe there's like a Spells Matter style deck and... And dealing that extra couple of points of burn and tapping something down is something really important. But I don't, generally speaking, a card like this doesn't really cut it for me. So it'll be interesting to see where we're going with this. But this card is just better than Lava Axe. Like, this is six mana for deal four damage guaranteed and probably more if you have any board state. So, like... At at the cost of two cards, though, right? Sure, but one of them's a land, so, you know, it's fine. You hope it's a land anyway, right? Yeah. So, um... It'd be interesting. the The mantra that we have of always play your lands now changes with Jumpstart. Yeah, um, and it also gives the opportunity to double spell on a lot of turns. So, being able to play two things, play a lot of things at instant speed. Right. Think about if you have like a a, a graveyard filled with Jumpstart cards at instant speed, you can pretty much do anything, and your opponent has to respect everything that you're doing. If you have a cantrip card draw at instant speed and you have sonic assault at instant speed and you have maybe there's a counter spell in your hand or something like that like your opponent has to respect that whole thing yeah and there's gonna be a lot of reaching across the table and saying can i look at your graveyard please well for us it'll just be expanding the graveyard but yeah see what you mean yeah all right next up is golgari and uh i'm a little disappointed they didn't bring back uh scavenge i really like that mechanic from um Return to Ravnica. Uh, yeah, Return that was a lot Ravnica of fun. Block. But um, we still get a graveyard mechanic here. What is undergrowth? So undergrowth is a keyword, not a mechanic. What that means is like it's going to describe a thing that happens and the conditions under which it happens. 
but the thing is different every time. Let's, let's just read through the example. We've got uh, Moodmark Painter, two black black for two three undergrowth. When Moodmark Painter enters the battlefield, target creature gains menace and plus X plus zero, where X is the number of creature cards in your graveyard. So what that's telling us is undergrowth is going to be, it's going to care about the number of creature cards in your graveyard. We don't exactly know, like, are we going to see this on spells? Are we only going to see this on creatures? How is this going to work? But something's going to happen when you play undergrowth cards as long as there's enough stuff in your graveyard. And I expect you'll be trading them off in combat or using surveil to fuel that. Yeah, exactly right. Things with death touch, I hope we get in Golgari. Um, just like a like a plague rats or whatever, not plague rats, whatever the death touch typhoid rats, um, something like that, where we can just throw creatures in the graveyard and get some kind of combat value out of them first. This card is interesting to me. Uh, kind of reminds me of the vampire from the Ixalan block. They gave a vampire plus one plus one in menace. Oh, I was thinking Mogus's Marauder, but I guess I played too Ooh. much Theros. No, Mogus's Marauder is is all along the same lines too, right? Where it gave a creature's de- menace. menace up to your devotion, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is obviously paired really well with things with big butts and or even just like X fours, for example. So um, remains to be seen if this card will be good, but it, I think it's a good demonstration of what Golgari wants to do: is fill the yard and then use that to their advantage somehow. Yeah. All right. Next up is Boros. Which uh, is funny, because as I was going through these and trying to remember them, Boros is the one that I always forget. And it's the one that I always remember. This seemed like a great mechanic to me. It seems like a neat mechanic. Um, So Boros has Mentor. Whenever this creature attacks, put a plus one, plus one counter on target attacking creature with lesser power. So it, like, it teaches its buddy as they're running off into combat, which seems like a really poor time to do that like you would think that they would train before the fight they did and then you see the results of the training in the fight all right it is pretty flavorful i do like it um the neat thing here is too is if you have a bunch of things with mentor you can potentially chain them yeah you know like all of my things got plus one plus one that's great um and it's a permanent plus one plus one counter so that's that's also really cool and like if Um, you get enough counters on one of them the student can become the mentor that is also very cool. Yeah, like it. This is just kind of like a flavorful mechanic. Yeah, it's like a leveling up thing. Um, the downside that I'm seeing from the two cards that they presented here is that what you end up with is high power, low toughness cards, mm-hmm. which is something that um, we've you know obviously you see in the past is it susceptible to removal, but also to just dying to a two two. So we shall see how this plays out. But the card, one of the cards that that I think is interesting here that we've seen is. Um, Barging Sergeant, I love that name, four and a red for a 4-2 with haste, and it has Mentor. So the fact is that you can get that plus one, plus one immediately out of this card with the haste. Um, and having the, 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 the front end heavy, the power heavy on this one means that you probably have something you can mentor with it. Yeah, and I, I think all of these are going to be a little bit overcosted because it's planning on you to be able to attack with them. Uh, and that's what Boros wants to do. Like, this is typically the aggro deck. Uh, Gatecrash, the last time we saw Boros, it was terrifyingly fast. Uh, And I I think I actually like this more than the battalion mechanic we had before, which just cared about attacking with three creatures. Either way, this one's relatively simple. Put mentor creatures with high power in your deck with smaller creatures and turn them sideways. Like, for for limited, this seems like a no-brainer. Like, I'm going to be interested in, like, any red deck I have or white deck... I'm going to want the mentor creatures I can get because I plan on killing my opponent with damage. 
I hope we don't see a mentor creature with flying. That would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? Or yeah, how because about, I like blocking. How about playing a, a, a deck that has flying creatures plus something else with mentor? Like, who cares mm-hmm. if you trade off with my mentor guy? I've got a 3-3 Windrake. I was going to say, that's probably the play pattern here, is that, you know, you play your Barging Sergeant, and you're just accepting the fact that you're paying five mana, and, and you know, to get, and giving up a card to kill your opponent's 2-2, two, two, but you're making your 3-3 three, three, a 4-4 four, four in the process. Yeah. Right, or you're making your 2-3 your a 3-4 in the process. So you're, you know, you're you're spending a premium to remove your opponent's creature that you know they're blocking with in order to make your other creature a little bit more kind of, I guess, make it a little bit better. Um, give it a little more survivability in the long run. You're making it relevant again. Like, how relevant mm-hmm. is a grizzly bear on turn six? Usually not, but a 3-3 might be able to attack in, especially if they don't see it coming in the case of the, the haste mentor. Another interesting play pattern that I see, so the other one here is the is a 5-2 with mentor. And the other play pattern that I see is that I have a 5-2 and a 2-3, and, and you have a 4-4. Four, four. And I attack with the I attack with both. And now you make a decision. Do you kill the five two, right, and suck it up that I'm going to have a four four left over or a three four left over, or do you eat my three four, take five damage, and now I still have my mentor creature around, and you don't know what I'm going to play as a follow up to that. So God forbid you have a combat trick, because then there's there's just no good solution. Exactly right, and now we're now we're kind of into that little bit of like a maybe like a morph shell game where you're not really sure which one you should block, um, and mixing it up with like a first strike combat trick or something like that is going to be huge. Yeah, and pro tip: Boros is going to have combat tricks. I don't know what they're going to be, but I know they're going to have them. There's going to be some kind of plus X plus zero, where X is between one and three, and first strike. Yep, and I hope we get Mighty Leap. I would love to see Mighty Leap and Boros. Becoming best friends. Ooh, that might be really good with Mentor. Yep. Yeah. All right. And the last one is a returning mechanic. We have Convoke. Travis, what does Convoke do? Uh, Convoke says your creatures can help cast this spell. Each creature you tap while casting the spell pays for one colorless or one mana of that creature's color. So basically, if you have a six drop with Convoke, you can tap two creatures and pay four mana. Uh, a.k.a. triplicate spirits of days gone by. I still have nightmares about that card. But if you get a board built out, it can make casting Convoke creatures very cheap. It turns yeah, everything into part- a Llanowar Elf for the turn, basically. Yeah, basically. Um, and if you can draft enough Convoke creatures, you know, like a good mix of cheap early creatures and a lot of Convoke creatures, everything's a Llanowar Elf, which is pretty amazing. The card that they've spoiled here for us, Rosemane Centaur, is three green-white for a 4-4 Vigilance with Convoke. I would probably just play that without Convoke. And the fact that I might be able to get this down on turn three, if I'm lucky, or turn four, get it down a turn ahead of time, kind of has me very interested in playing uh, a card like this. Yeah, and bear in mind, they've, they've spoiled commons for us here to show us these mechanics. And this, these may not even be the best commons, you know, out, out of that color pair mechanic. So I'm pretty excited about this one as well. Convoke has always been very powerful when we've seen it before. Uh, so I'd, I have no reason to believe that it wouldn't be now. Kind of also maybe implies that there's going to be a token theme in Selesnya. There, because there usually is. Yeah, there usually is. So, uh, and just having a bunch of tokens that can tap out and tap your other things. Uh, or play your bigger creatures out is going to be going to be great. 
So that's it for the guild mechanics, and now we're kind of into the global mechanics. Uh, two of... Well, one is my one of my favorite things, and the other one is kind of a neat little spin on the way that they're going to do these things. So we have split cards have returned. So the last time we were in Ravnica, we had a fuse cards where you could cast... It was, it was two cards in one, and you could cast one half, the other half, or both. Mm-hmm. And the card was always done left to right. These split cards are simply cast one or the other. So the example that we have is status or statue. And the status side is a combat trick. It gives your creature plus one, plus one, and death touch. And the statue side is destroy target artifact creature or enchantment. So it's just basically just the modal spell with two different casting costs. Now the interesting thing here is that this sample had what's known as hybrid mana. So hybrid mana is a mana symbol that can be cast with two colors. One of either color. So in this case, it's green or black. So status is a single mana, green or black, to cast this spell. So you can put it in your Golgari deck, you can put it in your Selesnya deck. Either one works fine. Now the statue side is two black green. So it is a gold card, whereas the hybrid card is either black or green. So what this means is, is that well, they've they've mentioned here that all of the, that the guild-based split cards have a hybrid half and a traditional gold half. So there's going to be what I assume is there's going to be one of these in every color or two of these in every color, meaning that you can play the first half pretty much guaranteed in in whatever color as long as you're main decking that, and then you can play the other half easily on the splash because the card is not dead in your hand assuming you're playing that as your main color, right? So let's say I'm playing status and I'm playing it in Selesnya deck. I can play it because it's just a single green for a combat trick, which is okay, it's not great, but maybe I want to put that in my deck. But then I can splash the other half of it easily because it's not a huge cost to me if I never get to cast it for its more powerful effect, which is destroy target whatever I want. Yeah. And in some of these, the first half may actually be the good side. The example they've given us here. The first half, the the hybrid half, is not the good side. The gold side is. But if that's different on another one, like imagine one that's red-white for a shock, and then, you know, red-white, not hybrid for exile target enchantment or artifact. Well, we don't care. We just want the shock. So that goes right in my is it deck. Exactly. So these hybrid cards are interesting because they're potentially picked up by more people than would normally be interested in just a regular gold card in the draft. Um, and it makes for some interesting deck building decisions around what do I splash for, or can I play this double hybrid card, right? It might be like hybrid mana, hybrid mana, think like Kitchen Finks, which is like one green, white, green, white. Yeah. You know, I, that's really tough for me to play in a Golgari deck because I need double green, but I might want to pick it up if it's a more, if it's a powerful card, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of opens up all of these options and it'll make the draft experience, I think, very interesting. So I'm look forward to see how much hybrid mana we get. I hope that we get a lot of it because I think it'll make the the draft very interesting. I think so too. I'll I'll also point this out. I know most of our listeners are into digital magic, but if you're going to go play a pre-release or do anything paper with these split cards, familiarize yourself with the split cards that are in your deck first because if you take the card and turn it sideways so that you can read it, you're letting your opponent sort of guess what's in your hand if they've got them memorized. Or if you really want to be fun, and you don't have any of these cards in your deck, just take a random land and turn it sideways and look confused for a second and then smile and say move to attacks. There's a lot of stuff you can do there, but 
for me, when I've played with these in paper in the past, I've just made sure that I understood exactly what all of my split cards did before we got into the game. So I never had to give away what I had. Yeah, that's that's a great thing. Great example. Um, run into that a lot with the uh, aftermaths too. Yeah. Like same idea, right? Just make sure you know what your card does so that you're not giving away any information to your opponent. So what do you think of the mechanics? I think these actually look pretty good. Um, it, it, this is a hard one to top for me because I have some really fond memories of Return to Ravnica block. I'm actually excited to see this done through the modern lens of card design uh, because we've had some really fantastic sets lately. I think Dominaria was very good. Hour of Devastation is my favorite set of all time. I was actually pretty impressed with M19 as a core set. The only real dud I feel like we've had recently was Ixalan. And again, my gripe about that was just that it was drafting on rails. And Ravnica, it, it has both the potential to transcend that and the potential to get stuck in it. Because we've got five guilds here. We're used to being able to play ten color pairs, but it looks like we're only going to be able to play five. So, like, that's a little bit terrifying. It, it would severely limit what we would be able to draft. However, if, if we're able to do some really crazy splashing, uh, as we were in Return to Ravnica, you could kind of straddle two guilds and, and play a wedge, uh, which could be quite fun. So these are split up here where you would absolutely be able to do that, right? Like you could kind of do a Boros and Selesnya deck, which is a Naya deck, and kind of have that wedge. Usually when I did that in Return to Ravnica before, I'd be playing mostly, you know, white, green, and then splashing for a couple of high-end Boros cards, uh, which was really, really neat. Uh, so I, I feel like there's a lot of potential here, but you know I've said this a million times because I'm a grumpy old man. I don't get super excited about spoilers until the whole set's out. When the whole set's out, I'm reading the whole thing once, then I'm doing a set review with Ethan, then I'm doing one with you, like, and I'm gonna look at these cards and really dive in and see what limited looks like. Yeah, exactly. We won't be able to evaluate many of these cards until we know a lot more. But uh, we can certainly speculate about what the mechanics are. And I think this was this is a good discussion. I think it's good to try to get out in front of this one. And now as I'm going through spoiler season, because I do like looking at spoilers. Yeah, and it's I'm okay to, to look at spoilers. It's just it, it's just not for me. I'm going to be applying this conversation and thinking about these these cards a little more critically than I would in the past because we've already talked about the mechanics. So yeah. good talk. Thanks for humoring me on this one. Of course, of course. I think that's going to wrap it up this week. So once again, thanks to face-to-facegames.com uh, for the host and the support. If you are interested, fellow listener, in uh, supporting the podcast, you can check us out on our Patreon. We are at patreon.com slash menformoto. And you can also follow us on Twitter, which is at menformoto. Travis, where can they catch you drafting Arena and uh, Cube on Magic Online this week? You can find me at twitch.tv slash simulan. You can also find me on Twitter at, on the same. I'm at simulan. And uh, while you're at it, why not leave us a review on your podcasting software of choice? It will help other people find us. Absolutely. And I am at twitch.tv slash dsavillian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. And I'm at Twitter the same. The Winter of David continues. And we'll be streaming a lot more next week. So I can't wait to see you. Happy birthday, Dave. Thanks again. (laughs) Once again, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Adios.